1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. Well, tonight we're going to pick up right where Pastor left off last Wednesday evening, and we're dealing with the reality of the Incarnation and the reality of the resurrection, and living our lives as if the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it is truly a reality in our lives, living our lives as if the resurrection of Christ is truly a reality in our lives. When we teach on faith, whether it's a standalone message or during the Holy Week revival, time like that, or the one week pastor did a few years ago on Mount Moving Faith, When we teach on faith, we always define faith biblically as taking action on the Word of God. Belief and faith often are used interchangeably as synonyms, but faith is more than just belief. Faith is taking action on the Word. We could say it this way, faith is acting like the Word of God is so. And in our lives, every day of our lives, we've got to discipline ourselves to act and to talk like and to think and to live as if everything in the Word of God is true, and that what the Bible says about Jesus is true, and act and talk and think and act accordingly. John 15 and verse 7, Jesus said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. And remain here, or abide in the King James or New King James. To abide or to remain means to live in, to settle down in, to take up residence in. And so to remain or to abide, that's not a casual thing. That's not an occasional, every other week, once a month, Christmas or Easter. It's not that kind of thing. To remain in, to abide in is a daily thing. And I know we're at the beginning of a new year, and at the beginning of a new year, New Year's resolutions, amen. And so I would challenge you as we have started this new year, now we're into the second month, I would challenge you in your daily life to spend more time in the Word and more time in prayer. And you might say, well, how much time exactly, Austin? More than what you've been doing, amen? And we always explain that you got to start where you start. And I know growing up as a young guy in church, I would read books and hear stories about this pastor praying so many hours and that pastor praying so many hours. We're we're all living life, and you have the job that you do. You have the number of children that you do, amen. They're either sleeping through the night or they're not, whatever it is. And so we've all got to walk with the Lord in our everyday lives to the best of our ability. And so if you don't have prayer time or time in the Word, I would encourage you just to get started. Ten minutes of prayer a day, 10 minutes in the Word every day. And then once you've done that consistently for a while, double it. Go to 20 minutes and so on. And if you've been doing half an hour, whatever it is consistently, well, increase your time in the Word. Increase your time in prayer. That is the success formula. God gave Joshua in Joshua 1.8, meditate on the Word day and 
night all the time. And I'm all for devotionals and various books, but there's nothing like spending time in the Word of God. Reading the Word, meditating on the Word, rehearsing the Word, confessing the Word, and then you can build your prayer life on that and get better results. And so in 2021, we've all got to focus, amen, got to turn off the unnecessary distractions, which can be things or people. And I believe in being informed, amen, but you got you to balance all that and got to focus and abide and remain in him and his word abide and remain in us. We've given you this paraphrase of John 15, 7, if you live in, settle down in, take up residence in me, and my words live in, settle down in, and take up residence in you, you shall ask what you desire, and it shall be done unto you. And if you read on to verse 8, we find out that we can't bear fruit and thereby bring God glory unless we abide and remain in him, and unless his word abides and remains in us. Look at John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So to be fruitful, we've got to abide in him, and his word has got to abide in us. Now, last Wednesday, Pastor left off saying that we need to practice the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. We need to practice his presence. And if we get serious about that, that's really going to change how we're conducting ourselves. It's going to change our decisions, going to change our speech, going to change our thought life, it's going to change our actions, it's going to change what we're uh, doing, it's going to change even what we're watching, amen? You know, you have to, when you sit down to watch that, whatever it is, you have to picture Jesus sitting right next to you. You're like, that's not going to work. Well, see, if we want to be more fruitful, amen, more blessed, more productive, more walking with him, led by him, led by the Holy Spirit. So as pastor was saying, we've got to practice his presence. And now it's probably a decade ago, many years ago. For a while, it was popular, the, the bracelets, the wristbands that said, what would Jesus do? And I, I think it would be a helpful thing to bring that back in 2021, because I know there are some things he would not do, amen? amen? So what would he say? What would he do? How would he respond? How would Jesus act? We need to get better about practicing his presence and being mindful of his presence. He is in us. He is working in us. His spirit indwells us. And we have to live as if that is a reality in our lives. And we're living in, we're living in the days of Malachi 3.18. Malachi 3.18, where Malachi wrote that you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. And anything you want to name, we're, we're seeing what people really believe. As I mentioned Sunday at 9 a.m., we're, we're seeing who believes church is essential. You know, if somebody has no problem going to Lowe's, the Waffle House, or whatever it is, but they've not been in church for a year, the Lord sees that. And I, I may not see that, but the Lord does, Amen. And so we're living in times where we are seeing with our eyeballs what people really believe. And the thing that's been on my mind that I've been thinking about and mulling over it, it bothers me, is that God doesn't have people's attention. 
and I'll see someone and think, well, man, I've not seen them in a long time, and they're at this or that event, but they're not, they're not in church, and, you know, with all that's going on and all that's going on in the world and in the news, and then they don't even bother to come when Tiff Shuttlesworth is here to find out about the days we're living in. And so the question I wonder to myself is, well, what, what would it take for them to get serious? And that's a sobering question to think about. But we're living in days when we can see with our eyeballs, we can see with our eyeballs what people really believe. So in our lives, the incarnation, and I, we just had Christmas recently, Emmanuel, God with us. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, God with us, God in us, God working through us. Not distant, not far away, not where we have to journey to a particular place once a year to be closer to God. No, Emmanuel. That's what the incarnation is all about. God with us, God in us, God working through us. And if you really believe that and then begin to live as if that is a reality in your life, it'll change everything. The way you act, the way you talk, the way you conduct yourself, the decisions you make, amen? And you begin to ask yourself that question that was used to be popular. What would Jesus do? What would he say? How would he handle that situation? So the incarnation should be more than just a theory or a concept or a doctrine, you know, when I was in seminary, we studied it as a doctrine. It should be more than that in our lives. The incarnation should be a living reality. He, the Bible says he tabernacled among us. Go to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and he made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The light entered the world. It entered into darkness, but John says the darkness has not understood it. And then you go over to 1 John chapter 1. Because we're born again, we're in the light, and we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. So his incarnation and what he did for us, it should be a living reality in our lives. And in your life, his incarnation and the reality of Jesus in you and working through you it, that should be as real to you as your ears, your nose, your fingers, amen. Get your finger stuck in a door, it hurts, you, you know, that's real. Well, the incarnation ought to be that real to you, that he did what he did for you. And because he did what he did for you and you have believed upon him, you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, he is in you and he is working through you. God in us and God working through us. And because of that, we have his spirit. We have his presence. But we have to live as if that's a reality in our lives. And this is directly connected to the message this past Sunday and what we'll be dealing with the next few weeks, and that is being mindful of his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. And as Paul says, as we see in the New Testament, not grieving the Holy Spirit, not resisting the Holy Spirit, being led and living by the Spirit, well, that requires being mindful that uh, we're not alone, we're not on our own. It's not the way it was under the old covenant. Well, God's over there. He's with us. 
He's in us. He's working through us. And even if we don't open our mouths and say what we're thinking, he knows exactly what we're thinking, to live accordingly. And so if this is a reality in our lives, it'll change the way we live. It'll change the way we talk, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we treat one another and those in the world. It'll change the decisions that we make. It'll change the connections that we make and the connections that we have. I'm all for walking in love. We'll get to that in two Sundays. The motive of love. But walking in love doesn't mean I have to let people abuse me or take advantage of me. And walking in love doesn't mean I need to maintain friendships that are going to bring me down instead of lifting me up. And I, I never cease to be amazed. Y'all hear this story and that story. I'm amazed about the connections that people make. You will never rise higher than your level of fellowship. And those bad connections, they may not just sabotage you. We're seeing now wrong connections sabotaging children and grandchildren. And so it's important. We've got to live as if he is with us, he is in us, he is working through us. And that's going to change everything we're doing in our lives. We need to practice the presence of Jesus. What would he do? What would he say? How would he handle that situation? Now, how can we practice his presence if we don't remain in him and his words don't remain in us? How can I seriously practice his presence if I'm not spending time in the word of God? How can I spend time in his presence if, and practice his presence if the only time I, I crack open a Bible is in church? But you realize even then, because of the verses on the screen, I, I'm... I love the technology, but you need to have your own Bible, amen? Because they're, they're making updates and there are new versions and, uh, you know, the internet's great as long as it works, amen? You know, I know when my father's internet stops working, I get a text and hey, Austin, it's not working. <laughs> and so it's great as long as it's all working. But, but how can I abide in him? How can his word remain in me if I am not spending time in the word on a regular basis? basis. And if you're new, you're new to the things of God, don't start out in Leviticus. (laughs) I'm reading, right now I'm reading the New Testament and the NIV, and I'm reading the Old Testament and the King James, and I'm working my way through Leviticus and the King James, and I'm going to be so happy when I finish Leviticus. Amen? (laughs) So if you're a new believer, I would encourage you to read Paul's epistles to understand what salvation is all about, what the Christian life is all about. And you probably shouldn't start with Romans, but you could read Galatians, you could read Ephesians, you could read Philippians. You need to read a gospel to understand who Jesus is. I would read the gospel of Mark. It's the shortest. And then I would encourage you every day, read the proverb for the day. You know, most months there's 30 or 31 days, so read the proverb for the day. You have trouble going to sleep at night, read the Psalms, amen? And so there there are places that you can start to get to know God, to remain in him and his word remain in you. And then how can we practice his presence if we don't pray? And how can we practice his presence if prayer to us is us just running through our list, presenting our petitions, doing our thing, and then it's like, oh, prayer time's over. How can we practice his presence if there's no listening involved? 
How can we practice his presence if there's no quiet time involved? How can we practice his presence if there's no worship time involved? And that could be listening to some worshipful songs and singing along, or it could be you making a joyful noise to the Lord. I know it's joyful if no one else is around, amen, (laughs) to critique and to criticize. So we've got to practice his presence. And so again, I would challenge you in 2021 to increase your time in the word, to increase your time in prayer, whatever that has been in your life. Again, I don't want to put you under guilt and condemnation and say, you know, if, you need, if you're not praying so many minutes a day, you should feel ashamed. No, whatever you've been doing, just dial up the time, increase the time, more time in the word, and more time in prayer. Practice his presence. We should live as if the incarnation is a reality in our lives. And we should live as if his resurrection is a reality in our lives. Our faith is a living faith. This distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on planet earth. Our faith is a living faith. Our God is a living God. Jesus is alive. He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, and he has poured out his spirit. We have his spirit. When we're born again, we're born of the spirit, and we can be filled with the spirit, and so he's working in us and through us. That is a reality. It is a living faith with the living God, and he's alive and working great wonders today, and this is the thing. It is the thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on planet earth. And so we ought to live as if the resurrection is a reality. He's alive. And there's coming a day when that trumpet will be, it'll blast and we'll meet the Lord in the air. There's coming a day when we will all, if you're a believer, if you're born again, you will stand before Jesus at his judgment seat. And that, that is a sobering thing, amen? In my life, I want to hear him say, well done. And so that day is coming. So to know Jesus, to know his nature, his character, and his works, I would challenge you to read the Gospels. And again, if you've never done that, I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark. It is the shortest. 16 chapters, he gets right to the point, and uh, start with Mark, and then read the others. To know who you should be in Christ, read the Gospels. Not, not who Hollywood says Jesus is. Not, not even the way you might have uh, seen him portrayed in a children's book growing up. To know Jesus, to know Jesus, read the Gospels. And the meaning of Christian is like Christ or little Christ. So to understand who we should be, you need to read the Gospels. Because we are to be like him, we are to imitate him. I love the story of Oral Roberts and his autobiography that he wrote is wonderful. And in his autobiography, he tells the story of how he was pastoring a little church in Enid, Oklahoma. And God put it on his heart to set aside a time of prayer and fasting. And during those days, he read the Gospels again and again and again and again. And when Oral Roberts came out of that little office and that little church, he was a changed man. And uh, he made an impact on the world in the 20th century. 
And he, like T.L. Osborne and others, he showed people that Jesus is alive and that he's in us and he's working through us. And he's today he is still doing the same things he did in the Gospels. Saving people, healing people, setting the captives free, healing adults, healing children. You know, you get on YouTube and watch the, some of the crusade videos and when they would pray for people, you know, the ones that always bless me are with the children. When you're a parent, you understand how when there's a, a situation a child faces, it, it can be a hard thing. And so it always blesses me to see those videos and praying for children and the Lord doing mighty signs and wonders in the lives of children. But it was reading the Gospels that changed his life and ministry. So read the Gospels. Read about Jesus' ministry here on planet Earth. Read about all the wonderful miracles that he did. And I really do believe most of the wrong beliefs and misconceptions people have because of what they've been told, because of growing up in this or that church or this or that denomination, all of that will be settled if you'll just read the Bible for yourself. Your questions will be answered if you read the Bible for yourself. And any wrong conceptions you have in your mind or in your heart, they'll be dealt with reading the Bible for yourself. So read the Gospels. After Jesus' baptism and temptation, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and he was quoting from Isaiah chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. See, that, that's the Jesus of the Bible. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. Not God's teaching you something and God's taking you through this terrible experience to teach you a lesson, all of that religious nonsense. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim the oppressed, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you look at Isaiah 61, it's interesting, because Jesus didn't finish reading verse 2. The first part of verse 2 is the year, the Lord's favor. But the very next part of verse 2 is the day of vengeance of our God. So what season are we in right now? The Lord's favor. But what's coming? The day of the vengeance of our God. So I'm going to live as if his word is true. Amen? Amen. I'm going to live as if what the Bible says about Jesus is true, and not just part of it, all of it. I'm going to live as if he's in me and working through me, but I'm also going to live as if pretty soon here I'm going to stand before him and give an account. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and begin by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Go over to the book of Acts. And Peter preached at Cornelius' house that Jesus went around doing good and healing all. See, just that verse right there would fix the, the wrong beliefs and misconceptions so many people have. Jesus went around doing what? Good. And healing how many? All. He went around doing good and healing all. But see, it helps people to see it with their own eyeballs in their prayer time 
and study time. So in every moment, for every need, in every situation, Jesus demonstrated his divine ability. And he demonstrated the power of God. And the Bible tells us, we find out in the New Testament that because of what he did for us, we have his divine nature. He has delegated his authority to us. We, we have, as Paul tells us, we have his spirit. What spirit? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So we ought to be happy. We ought to be joyful. Amen? And uh, you have the solution. If you're born again, you have the answer right here. If you're saved, you have the answer right here. And his, his divine nature is at work in you and through you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead indwells you. And so his power is working in us and through us. When Lazarus died and Jesus stood in front of that tomb, he faced it just as you or I would face any ordinary situation in life. You know, he didn't set aside 30 days of prayer before going to Lazarus's tomb. He, he, he slowed down their time in getting there, and then he went and handled the situation. Just as if you or I would handle any ordinary situation in life. When the disciples were in the midst of the storm, he had perfect peace. He, he was asleep. He was asleep. And so during this past year, at one point, we dealt with worry. Worry is contrary to faith. And you'll, you'll find your answer for worry in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. See, you have to reach a decision and decide in your life, is Psalm 91 true or is it not? Well, if it's true, I'm not going to worry. And I'm going to use my brain and common sense and the wisdom God gave me, amen. But I'm going to know that I'm blessed and I am protected and I'm not going to worry. So they were in the midst of the storm, but Jesus was having a peaceful nap, night's sleep, whatever it was. Later, in the midst of another storm, he walked on the water. And he, he did that just as easily as you or I might walk outside to check our mail. It's amazing. He walked and he demonstrated what it means to have God at work in you and through you. He set the captives free. He set men and women and children free from every work of the enemy. He healed the sick. He touched and healed lepers. He touched lepers. You know, we're living in a time when there are so many evil things. And it's evil, it's wicked that they don't allow people to visit people in the hospital or in nursing homes or retirement centers. It's evil. It's evil. It's evil. It's evil, it's evil for people to be. It makes it more difficult for people to overcome whatever they're facing alone. And again, I know you're like, well, Austin, you know, you can FaceTime and you can, you can Zoom and, you know, if you have the latest, it's in high definition. Great, but it's not the same as seeing someone in person. So it's not, it's not right. But Jesus, he, he touched the lepers. It's amazing. He was not afraid. And he even raised the dead. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And he lives and he reigns. The Bible says he is seated at the right hand of Father God. The fact, the fact, the biblical fact, the historical fact. As I mentioned Sunday, there were more than 5 
500 eyewitnesses of the living, resurrected Christ. And Paul, when he wrote that, said, some have fallen asleep, but most of whom are still living. Meaning if you were a skeptical one, you could travel and you could say, I, I want to meet and I want to talk to some of these people. The fact of the resurrection separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. And that's why our, our faith is a living faith. If Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was, his deity and the work that he did, it should be a living reality in our lives. So we've got to live as if we're truly born again. We've got to live as if we're truly saved, and as if we've been truly saved out of something. I didn't bring the reference, but in one of the epistles, the epistles Paul says, that is what some of you were. See, we, we ought not be living as that old man or that old woman. They, they have been crucified with Christ. So we ought to live as if we're truly born again. And we ought to live as if he is in us because he is. We ought to live as if he is working through us because he is. On the cross, after he was thirsty, John tells us in John 19 and verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So at that point, he was dead. The Roman government pronounced him dead. The soldiers made sure he was dead. The Jews and their religious leaders, they knew he was dead. But his followers never understood what would happen. And Jesus told them on more than one occasion he, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would be put to death, that he would then be raised from the dead. And he told them more than once, but it just went right over their heads. They, they didn't understand it until after it had happened. He told them, but they didn't understand until later. And we know this from John 20. Look at John 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they had put him. So she just assumed right off the bat, somebody has taken his body. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And I love that. He saw and believed. But there in verse 9, John gives us a parenthetical statement to understand. Verse 9, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so this helps us to understand and to sympathize with them. That when Mary went to the tomb, she thought somebody had desecrated, desecrated it. That somebody had taken or moved the body. And so she worried that it happened. Then Peter and John went. John got there first, but he didn't go in. Peter went straight in. And then it says when John went in, he saw and believed. So what did he see? He saw the empty tomb. He saw the grave clothes lying there. He, he realized Jesus had risen from the dead. He saw and believed. And then as you read in John's gospel and Luke's gospel and the writings of Paul, Jesus appeared to the disciples and to others over a period of 40 days 
before he ascended into heaven. And so his resurrection is a fact. And what, is the resur- re- what does the resurrection mean for us in our lives? It means the sin problem has forever been settled. We have been forgiven of our sins, and we now have victory over sin. You know, this whole thing of lame, weak, watered Christianity, watered-down Christianity, it needs to be done away with. This thing of, you know, well, you know, I've been doing that 25 years, and I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and we all sin all the time. My sins are just different than your sins. That is a bunch of nonsense to make people feel better about living defeated lives. We have been forgiven. We have the victory over sin, and you can live a life of victory over sin. Amen? With the help of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, You can say no to temptation. You can be set free of whatever that is, amen, and you can get past it, and you can live a life of victory. So we we have victory. The sin problem has been dealt with. The resurrection means that Satan was conquered. He has been defeated, and we now have victory in Christ. The resurrection means that we have been redeemed. We can be born again. God has now imparted his divine nature to us, He has given us eternal life. We are now new creations in Christ. You and I, when we're born again, we're born of the Spirit. And because we're born of the Spirit, that means we can be filled with the Spirit of God. We can, not not like the Old Testament where he might come upon someone temporarily. And he would come upon someone. We can be filled with the Spirit. And we, we can know what it is to have him live in us and work through us. Jesus made all of that possible by what he did. You and I can now be a part of God's family. You can be, as the title of pastor's book, God's very own child. You can now be a son or a daughter of God. You and I can now have fellowship with Father God, with Abba Father. Not not distant, not far away, close, intimate, and that's why we can enter his presence with boldness and with confidence. We are now, because of what Jesus did, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And as I said Sunday, we ought to live like it. We have been made righteous. The righteousness of Jesus has been credited or imputed or given to us. I love what Hebrews 10 and verse 10 says, we have been made holy once for all. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been made holy. I didn't do it. I didn't do the work. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He did it for me, and I am now the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been made holy once for all, and so I ought to live like it. And because of what Jesus did, we can now enter the Father's presence just as Jesus did in his earth walk with boldness, with confidence. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, not scared, not afraid, not worried what's going to happen because we haven't gone there in a while, amen, with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, in Ephesians 3 and verse 12, Paul writes, in him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. He is our Father. We are his sons. We are his daughters. 
And just as Jesus knew him and walked with him and talked to him and heard him, we can too. And we can enter his presence with boldness and confidence and assurance, knowing he hears us and he answers us. Amen? And so you can enter his presence first thing in the morning. You can enter his presence on your way to work. Amen? At any time, you can enter his presence. So we have to live as if the incarnation and the resurrection are realities in our lives. And through God's word now, the Holy Spirit is building into us the very character and nature of Christ. To where, like Paul, we can say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And when they, they crucified somebody, that person was dead. There, there was no mistake about it. I have been crucified with Christ. And I, the old man, the old woman, no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So see, we, we've got to come to that place where Galatians 2 and verse 20 is a living reality in our lives. I have been crucified with Christ, and, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That, that'll help you understand when the Bible says our lives are not our own, we were bought at a price. And so then go to Hebrews, you find out that's why it matters how we live as believers. And so Romans 4 and verse 25 is now reality. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we have been justified. We have been made righteous in Christ because of what he did. 1 John 3, beginning in verse 1, says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Under the old covenant, the Bible calls them servants or slaves. Under the new covenant, we are sons and daughters. And so you got to have your time in the Word of God, and you got to see that for yourself. And you got to live in it and walk in it and act like that's the reality in your life. We should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, and that's what Paul wrote about too, when He appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, when he was risen from the dead and he appeared to Mary Magdalene, he appeared to the others, he even showed himself to Doubting Thomas. When he walked along the road with the two, the road to Emmaus, they encountered the living, resurrected Christ. You might say, Austin, I've not seen him. There's coming a day when we're going to meet him in the air, and we will see him. And when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love verse 2 in the King James, beloved, now we are the sons of God. Or ladies, now you are the daughters of God. And so that ought to be the reality. That, that ought to be more real to us than any other thing. Anything in this world, anything in the news, anything going on, we are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. And so I'm going to live like a son of God. I'm going to talk like I'm a child of God. I'm going to act like I'm a child of God. I'm going to make 
decisions, like I'm a, I'm a child of God, and when, when I'm tempted to handle something this way or that way, I'm going to hit the pause button first and pray about it first. Say, Father, what would you have me do? Or I'm going to go to the Gospels and say, well, what would Jesus do? Not pay someone back, amen? So now we are the children of God. And I mentioned a few verses from Hebrews tonight. Hebrews is great to read. But again, if you want to understand what Jesus did on our behalf and entering the presence of Father God with confidence and boldness, read Hebrews 10 tonight or tomorrow when you have your your Bible time. Read Hebrews 10. Because of what he did for us, we can enter his presence with boldness, with confidence, with great assurance. Not afraid, not worried, but with great confidence. Amen? And we ought to live as if that is a reality in our lives. Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.